Hey, Dan, welcome back to uh, another episode of Option 5. How are you? I'm doing great. If you don't know, we are um, filming this for YouTube and for your audio platform of choice. Which but if you're watching us on YouTube, you might get the pleasure of seeing our lovely backgrounds that we tried to change up, although we totally had to superimpose last week's. It, it looked a little superimposed. Yeah, it was, it was obvious. <laughs> This one, on the other hand, I found on Unsplash. It's probably someone's intellectual property um, for art. So I'm sorry if I stole your art. Do we need to give credit? I think I'll try to find it and then we'll give credit somehow. I mean, it's an interesting painting. It's very lovely. Oh, man. It's soothing. You've got a babbling brook there. I assume my family lived by the brook. With Well, your last name, that would make sense. Yeah. But yeah, you've got a... uh, buck there maybe that, i guess if you want to call it a stag oh right he looks a little um thin he's got some kind of ribs showing through there or something he does anyway so if you yeah. want to check us out on youtube you can zoom in i don't know if you can zoom in on youtube but you know take a look at that background and see what you think to give us a little comment on our youtube channel there we've been talking uh well if you've been watching option five for a while now you know that we've been talking about product teams how they work And then it led us to think maybe we should go a a level higher than Mm -hmm. just the product team. And let's start thinking about what's really truly led to the success of Crema. And product teams are one of those things, um, cross-discipline teams that are working together towards a common goal. But I think also, if you kind of go back to the top, it's about an organization that really focuses on being prepared to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the reasons why is we believe that things are changing a bit faster than mm-hmm. they ever have before. Yeah. Um, I remember, and then this was several, several years back. You and I went to a conference and we attended a talk. I don't know if both of us were at that one. They were, it was a breakout session mm. and the speaker was saying we are in a time of meta change. Oh yeah. Meaning Ooh, the rate of change is changing. So it's meta. So we always know that, you know, companies, um, any organization, things evolve, things change. Uh, especially with uh, technology, but because of technological advances, both software, hardware, you name it, the rate of change is getting faster. Yeah. And so, whereas the business life cycle for um, a company, maybe back in like the 1960s, 70s, even 80s, could have been years, it's now could be in a matter of months. So fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people always say, well, you work in technology, I bet that's hard because it changes so fast. And I kind of want to say back to them, your industry is changing that fast as well. You're just not paying attention. Right. Um, It's everybody. Right. It's everything. Now, technology is definitely a driver Mm -hmm. in that change. But I think you have way more people doing way more things with way more resources and abilities because of technology. Right. That they can accomplish more faster. Um, It's hard to keep up. Right. And it's not just, you're not just a tech company if you create technology. That's right. That's right. You're a tech company if you use state-of-the-art technology in the in the process of making your good or delivering your service. Yep. So if you are, um, if your competitor upgrades their system, state-of-the-art, whether it's distribution or mm-hmm. um, anything that helps them from an operational standpoint, you could be at a disadvantage and you could enter into that business downturn, yeah. business uh, cycle downturn faster than you thought purely because of a technological innovation from your competitor. It used to be so much harder to do things. Mm-hmm. And that's not that it is still difficult to do things. Don't get me wrong. 
but the barrier to entry to do manufacturing, to do uh, certain services, to mm-hmm. do, you know, et cetera, was so much higher. Um, those lo- those walls have all been kind of torn down to make things easier for us, which is great. We all have lives that are easier now, but yet things have to change in order for us to kind of break through what's new. Right. And so we're constantly making new. I was just looking at the fourth industrial revolution is something I've been just reading about recently. It's this idea of the blurring of boundaries between physical, digital, and biological worlds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know it's interesting. Weird. It's weird, but it's, <laughs> it gets into, you know, how does 3d print printing play into even 3d print printing, like by, bi- um, biological things, right? It's touching. All this stuff is changing so fast because I no longer have to spec something out, send it to a manufacturer, ask them if they'll make it, then hope they make it. And then, you know, et cetera, I can just plug the printer in and it will make it for me. You right. know, um, We've just never seen that rate of change in human history ever. Well, even the scenario you just said there of specking it out and sending it to manufacture. Yeah. Like it used to be you had to buy a warehouse Mm -hmm. or build the factory and then have the machinery and the tooling, which is incredibly capital intensive. Yeah. Yeah. uh, To create a good and then sell it. I know people to where they have an idea, they design it. And they want to become an Amazon retailer. Oh yeah. And sell stuff on Amazon. They don't have to manufacture. They can send it overseas somewhere yep. Yep. and be like, Hey, here, can you build this? They They're say, like, Oh, we have 44 other, other ones that are just like that. We'll just slap your logo. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or they'll build yours yeah. Uh, yeah. really cheap and yeah. then send it, you know, and actually fulfill it for you. And before you know it, you know, you can kind of manufacture and distribute your own stuff. I mean, and really relatively fast. So this is the world we live in and I want, maybe we can, we could spend a whole episode just on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the face of that rate of change in order to the kind of why of why we're talking about this conversation is over the last 10 years, in order for us to keep up, even just in the, the rate of change that has happened in the creative industry as a whole, mm-hmm. we've had to adapt or change or iterate, learn fast and right. unlearn fast, both both right. learn and unlearn things in order to continue to be relevant, to right. continue to be um, at the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and to survive as a company. Right. Um, and you probably haven't heard George or I say the words innovate or, or mm-hmm. innovative or creative as much. We have because it's important. Yeah. But I don't think it's enough to say that you're going to be the most innovative or creative company anymore. I think it's a dangerous word. Because one, it's hard. If you task anyone with, hey, go be innovative. It's like, at what? I don't know. What do you want me to be innovative at? I don't even know what problem we're solving. Right. But if you tell someone, I want you to be curious, I want you to observe, I want you to learn and then take those and make a decision from it. Right. I think that is getting below the surface. And so yes, be innovative. Mm, So good. Yes. Be creative. But it's, it's nothing less than that, but it's definitely so much more because a lot of times if you are learning in a, and you're just constantly learning you're not necessarily necessarily being innovative. You may have just learned something and made it make a decision. Mm-hmm. You may just say yes or no. Yeah. That leads your company forward. That wasn't innovative. Yeah. But it gave you wisdom. It gave you a new perspective on the world that you operate in within your business. Yep. And you made a decision based off that learning. And so I think the foundation of what we're trying to get to is that yes, be innovative. Yes, be creative. Be willing to adapt. Yep. But there's something below that. And what's below that is this aspect of lifelong learning. Well, and I think you're now, yes, absolutely. Because you're now in a space that fewer and fewer, I'm trying to think of the last, especially in our space, in technology, I'm trying to think of the last thing that I went, oh, wow. Like that changes the game, Mm -hmm. right? It's all these micro innovations now 
and it's right. it has to be constant. So it's always, it's there's a name for that, and I'm not going to be able to think of it. But this idea of um, micro improvements mm-hmm. to the existing yeah. paradigms, yeah. Um, even okay, machine learning. Well, machine learning is not new. It's been around for a long time, right? Or AI for that matter. It's just algorithmic programming. Okay, we've just gotten better at it and right. better at it and better at it and better at it and learned from it and learned from it, you know, et cetera. And um, same thing goes for almost anything I can think of. New phones. It's like my new iPhone 11 Pro is not all that much better than the iPhone 10. Right. It has a slightly better camera and it's a little faster. Okay. Yeah. But is that truly innovation? Right. Or is that improvement and them learning what the audience wants? They know that people want a better camera. Right. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna pay attention to that and we're gonna respond to it and right. make a decision to make a better camera. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember the last time you and I have looked at a startup or seen a company and said, Oh, that's that that's a game changer yeah. or that's groundbreaking. Yeah. What we typically say is, That's brilliant. It's so simple. Yeah. Why couldn't we have thought of that? Yeah. Like it's again those micro improvements. Right. And I think it's probably from someone who was observing, paying attention, yeah. saw a need, and created a very simple solution. Took the risk to go after it, which does come back to our option five. How this all ties back together as well is the option five idea of, you know, the fifth option is a little bit like take the risk and go for it. And I don't want to lose that heart in our conversation because part of learning is saying, I have to do the risky thing of making a decision Mm -hmm. to then move forward, um, to, to start experimenting or start trying to figure out if my assumptions are true or if the thing I've been observing is real, um, but there's a bit of risk mm-hmm. in, in stepping into that. And that's okay. Right. Um, you're of course, then I'm, I'm not as hard as saying like, what is the, the adage of like fail early and fail fast. I think it's oh, such yeah, a yeah. dumb thing to say. Yeah. I don't know. I get what the, the, the mindset of it is. It's like, you know, be willing to take risks. Mm-hmm. Failure's not bad. You learn from failure. And maybe that's something we should talk about in the, in the book or in this conversation is mm-hmm. that you do learn from making mistakes. Oh yeah. Failure is the best teacher. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's something as we're thinking about learning. It's like, you have to be willing to take the risk to make a decision and try something because mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, you learn as much, if not more, nah, I don't want to get side rail, but that's, that's, a, that's right. a piece of the, the formula, I think. Right. And so I think you can probably hear the passion in, in, mm. uh, in our tone in George's tone. And, my and we tone. also both feel a little bit better than we did on last episode. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, and I think why is because one, we've discovered we're, we're confident that this is what got us to where we're at now mm-hmm. and what we think it's going to be, be a platform to get us to the next phase. Yeah. But also we're passionate about that. We feel like this is the future of work. And you'll, you've probably heard that term out there. If you just Google future of work, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, <laughs> do that right now. there's a lot of writing on it. And there's a lot of really, really smart people out there that are doing research on the future of work. And there's like w- six advertisements at the top yeah. for that. What does it look like to knowing that the majority of our workforce is in knowledge work? Yep. Well, okay. Well, let's play that out a little bit. If all of us are in a knowledge workforce mm-hmm. kind of arena, okay, how do you gain knowledge? And then what's the purpose of that knowledge? Well, you've got to learn it and then you've got to apply it. Yep. And so why wouldn't companies, organizations, education systems yep. create environments under uh, really dive deep into what does it mean to learn? How do people learn differently? What are best processes to learn and then promote those? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, mean, I it's totally like, get what you're saying. Th- this how, idea, how of do like, you build that ingrain that into, I mean, I think I, I know you want to jump into it, but into the systems of how they think and, and what they do. Yeah. Um, well, and that's a good segue. Cause we 
as we've kind of unpacked this, we're, we've, the paradigm mm-hmm. or uh, tool or whatever you want to call yeah, it yeah, that we thought the framework. Yeah. What's the framework to where we feel like both as individuals, but also our team and kind of what we've observed, what's this framework look like of, of learning? And we've really honed in on three things. There could be more and we're exploring that, but yep, yep. around posture, disciplines and structure. Yeah. So I, we've already said it in a few of the past episodes, so you know, we've drifted out, but we wanted to dive into those a bit more. Cause I think this is we're, one, we're just trying to make sure they're, they're right. Um, and that all of the things that go into an environment, into a culture, into an organizational structure, and, or I don't want to overuse that word, mm. uh, organization into a team, into a person's career mm-hmm. that they fall into those three buckets somehow there's an argument that some of them fall into multiple buckets. And so we'll, we can explore that as well. But the three, the three that we had, like Dan said, is um, posture disciplines and structures. So let's start with postures. Yeah. What, how would you define um, what a posture is? Or do you want me to jump? No, you got it. You got it. Jump yeah. I would think as you think about posture, um, picture yourself arriving at your new job on the first day, it's your mindset. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's the mindset you bring every day. Um, but are you a, it's, it is personality, but it's a lot more than that. It's the type of mindset and attitude you want to have. Yep. It's your level of emotional intelligence. Yep. It's being aware of the emotions uh, of those around you, but also the emotions that you have. And it's just this, yeah, you're bringing yourself. It's really focused on the individual. However, the way individuals bring themselves to work, Mm -hmm. Affects, affects the posture the of the team them. Yeah. and then the posture of the teams affect the posture of the organization. So if you think about it, what is, if you were to define someone who is a good learner, mm-hmm. let's list off those adjectives and those would probably help you define what we mean by posture. So someone is humble. Yep. They are willing to say, I don't have it all figured out and I don't know everything yeah. and I'm okay not knowing everything. Yeah. So I'm bringing this posture of humility yeah. to work. Yeah. I'm I have a posture of curiosity. Yep. I'm willing to ask why mm-hmm. I'm willing to ask tough questions. Yeah. Um, maybe questions that people aren't willing to ask. So there's this posture of curiosity. Um, and then there's this posture of probably being agile, flexible yeah. in your thinking, yeah. open-mindedness, the willing, the willingness to unlearn and learn. Absolutely. So I love, um, um, oh my gosh. Reed Hoffman talks about unlearning is one of the primary things he looks for in mm-hmm. anybody he hires, especially leaders, because he wants leaders that are willing to let go of their old ways and, and move into what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's exactly what you're saying. If you're agile, you're truly willing to say, I, I'm not holding to, onto this too tightly. Holding loosely. Yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. let go of it. I think that's a posture holding things loosely. I think that's something you and I do pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is played into us being able to not be the bottleneck of crema, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is another thing leaders can learn from this is this idea of being able to say, spread the, spread the knowledge, spread right. the, spread the decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a posture right. of holding things loosely. That's great. Right. Okay. Um, I think also with postures, you, you touched on it. Feelings, uh, people oftentimes run away from the, the term feelings because it, it sounds too feely. Yeah. It's too, feel, it's too gushy. <laughs> and, and I think they get worried that they, that it's not their job as a leader, as a peer, as a coach, as a manager, whatever, Mm -hmm. to control uh, the people around them, their, their, their feelings or Mm -hmm. to enhance, you know, it's, it's not, 
do your work. I've heard it was said before. It's not, I, it's not my job to decide how you feel about your work. It's my job to make sure you do the work. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. But the way that someone does the work mm -hmm. or the quality of which mm -hmm. someone does the work is going to be drastically different depending on their attitude, their posture, and their feeling about it. Right. Now, it doesn't mean, and I think I want, to, I want everybody to hear us, that we're not trying to say that every task that you do has to be something you love. Mm-hmm. Because we be happy. I don't love everything I do, <laughs> but I do love the work that we do. Right. And so I know that sometimes I have to do the hard, crappy things with a mm -hmm. good attitude because the outcome will be great. Right. Um, that was one of the advice we got from, I got from the coach or our executive coach that we were working with in London, where he said, you know, here's the deal you need to work on, you know, how does your ability to hand things off onto people, which mm -hmm. I'm very good at doing <laughs> almost to uh, a, a bad point. How do you think that makes other people feel? And I said, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want people to feel bad. You know, they, they just seem willing to help me. Yeah. Um, but then he said, how would you fix that? And I said, well, I'd probably pick things back up and I do them myself. And he goes, well, you know, you wouldn't enjoy that. And he goes, you just want to enjoy what you do. I said, well, then now I'm stuck in a hard place. <laughs> And he goes, no, you have to think about the outcome mm -hmm. of how it would serve them mm -hmm. is actually enjoyable. Mm -hmm. The doing the thing is going to still suck. That's right. okay. But the posture all the way through has to be something you, anyways, yeah. I think that's where posture yeah. can be such an incredibly powerful tool. I, I really, really like that. And I love using the, the idea of joy and happiness yeah. Um, yeah. as a way to think about it of, because uh, he also talked to us about standing and state. Oh, good. And so yeah. I feel like happiness is a state but your standing can still be joyful. That's right. Like you can go home from work a bad day yep. or you can come to work. Maybe it's been a bad morning. Yeah. And you can still have <laughs> kids were not yeah. where they needed to be. Yeah. You can still have joy. You can still find joy as part of just your, of who you are. Yeah. It's kind of in your inner core of yeah. like, yes, I can find joy even though I'm really frustrated right now. Totally. I, because happiness is like, and I think going back to leadership, we can't, control happiness no happiness is fleeting nope yep but we can really ask people what gives you joy in your work yeah let's focus you on that because yeah. you may not be happy today and i'm going to let you know about it that maybe your attitude's not a little good <laughs> yeah. but i can still know that you're finding joy yeah. in collaborating you're finding joy in your work and you're also finding joy in learning yeah and it doesn't always have to be uh directly positive right so one of the things that i've been doing this is fairly recently in the last couple months i've stepped back into coaching a slightly larger team recently and on my one-on-ones one of the first things i do is actually have them use a mirror board or you could use sticky notes it doesn't really matter mm. and they have two dots and actually i do this at home with my kids too and they have two dots that they're allowed because it's not it's not binary it's not i'm only happy and i'm right. only mad yeah you're not limited to one feeling. Yeah, right. I, we're multifaceted people. Right. Um, but so what I do is I say, you know, this person feels is literally what it says. That's the name of the file for them. And they, they have to go, I feel these two things. And the first time I did it with everybody, I think almost it was interesting to see that my entire team all felt very similar. And um, maybe the word was a, one kind of one step off from of the person next to them, but almost exactly the two same dots, which was at the time I'm excited and I'm anxious. Hmm. Okay. Well, interesting. 
I could see how both of those feelings oftentimes are very close to each other. Mm-hmm. They were excited about the possibility of what we were about to, to embark on doing. Yep. But they were anxious because they weren't exactly sure how we were going to do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's good. I believe in the end. Yeah. But I'm anxious because I have no idea how we're going to get there. And yeah. what was so exciting about knowing that was then I could go, oh, cool. Um, one, you're exactly in the headspace where we should be, which is mm-hmm. we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Let's not think it's going to be easy. Let's work hard to get there. But I'm glad that you're excited about the potential outcome. And that's that's those two attitudes in tension with each other. And then what was neat mm-hmm. to see is it wasn't just one person felt that way. It, like we said, you influence people around you. The whole team was kind of in that same headspace. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, now what do we do with that? How mm-hmm. do we how do we use that as a tool? Mm-hmm. And then the next, you know, the next one on ones with everybody, it was kind of like, I'm, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. It kind of went away from excited because the excitement had worn off. You can't be excited forever. Right. I'm happy. I'm good. Yep. Everything's fine. But I'm a little annoyed. Oh, why are you annoyed? And this actually, again, it was almost the whole team kind of had a similar vibe. Well, I'm annoyed because it's not going as fast as I'd hoped. Totally to be, to be expected. Mm-hmm. And and you can adapt to figuring out how to work with somebody and in, in, in where their posture is at that moment. I love it. That chart um, kind of sounds like my own version of hell. Because at any given moment, at any moment, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't define it. But so I think the blank sheet of paper is is unfair mm. so if i were to say tell me how you feel i don't know but if i if i give you a set of words so i think there's 12 words on mm-hmm. my sheet if i give you a set of kind words of narrow it down yeah and and i've had people say well i'm not it's it's something between this one and this one that's great you could at least it give you the space to describe that right um i'm not anxious but i guess maybe i'm, I'm confused yeah 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 exactly and um it's just a tool to open the conversation I'm the same way where I'm like, I don't know how I feel. I feel cloudy. I, I use, yeah. I use foggy, cloudy, foggy, foggy cloud. I use these analogy words uh, more than I do like a specific word. Cause I'm always afraid by putting a, a stamp on the title mm-hmm. that ever would be like, Oh, George is upset. I mean, he's not in a good mood. Stay away from him. Or, you know, I don't want it, everybody to have to bear the weight of that right. feeling. Right. Um, but if I'm foggy, it's like, ah, I don't know, I'm just a little foggy. Right. right. I love how you said that the reason, and I think we'll find this in all three of these is that posture, you said the way, the posture that you bring, which is more than feelings, feelings is, is it, or is one of the categories of posture, Yeah, but it's more than that is it affects the whole Yeah, and your posture can affect the mood, can affect the, the work ethic, it yeah. can just affect the whole work environment of those around you. And so as we think about these, yes, it is individual. But the moment you start thinking bigger than yourself, it is now an, it's now a network. It's now a system Yeah. Ooh, because yeah. And now you have to have that, that, um, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like a, a stance of looking at someone else's perspective. Ooh. And that is key to learning. It, it creates a collective learning versus just an individual learning. And so I think, um, as we explore this more, Keep that in the back of your mind of, yes, it's an individual, but it has to go past the individual. It has to go to teams and organizations. I think what you're talking about is empathy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, everybody likes to say, well, you know, a great, a a great thing, a great thing for everybody to have is, is a higher sense of empathy. And it's like, yeah, but that's difficult to like, to actually put an action Mm -hmm. and to do. Right. Cause empathy, I don't know, is empathy an action? I think what is, how would you define the word empathy? Google empathy. 
I know. I think that would be a posture, honestly. I mean, the ability to, use the to word. understand and share the feelings. Okay, an ability. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah so, because you're choosing, you're making you're a choosing, choice. Yes. To be empathetic in the moment, you may not be an empathetic person, but you can make the choice yep. by a number, of, like asking yourself, okay, how would I feel in this situation? Yeah. 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 I think we have a we have a we happen to have a staff of really high EQ, really mm-hmm. high empathy, yeah. empathetic individuals, which helps us to serve our clients because we have to put ourselves in our client's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it helps us to work together Yep, because we, we understand, Oh, you know what that I, I, as a designer sitting next to a developer can go, I really passionately believe this is the right user experience mm-hmm. for the end user mm-hmm. and the developer will go, and that is really hard to do, or I disagree because it's going to cause X, Y, and Z problems in state management or scalability or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then I have to have a sense of humble confidence, that kind of like humility to go, okay, those mm-hmm. are things I didn't know. And I can see from your perspective that that is an important factor for you. How do we best find common ground? Mm. So our posture, but both of us have to have that posture mm-hmm. of empathy, of um, understanding where we're coming from. Yes. So that our diversity isn't ba- a battleground. Right. I, I love what you just said. Um, I was thinking the exact same thing. You said it better than I could have. The idea of like having empathy will... Um, inevitably lead to the question of, of why, right, like, wh- right. Why, why do you feel this way? I really want to know. Yeah. Like, yeah. help me understand, Yeah, you know, what did I do to offend, you know, oh, you and I've you. had these conversations. Yeah, many like, times, I yeah. really want to know. It's like, so having empathy of like, Oh, I, I see that you're hurting. Mm-hmm. Why are you hurting? Help mm-hmm. me understand that in of itself is learning. And if you can learn to work better yep. in groups of two, yep. four, six, 40, yep. then you're going to become a much um, better, you're going to become much better as a learning organization. And I think the challenge that I would give going back to what we talked about early on in the first couple seasons of the podcast is if we still believe that cross-discipline work is where best work is done because of the diverse mm-hmm. views so that you kind of catch all the what ifs and you actually can create a better solution together because of that diversity, mm-hmm. then, then that this posture to- topic mm-hmm. becomes even more important. Absolutely. And it's completely interconnected. Yeah. It's like diversity is what we might call a structure, mm, mm. possibly. And then yeah. you are bringing a, a, uh, a posture of empathy. Because yeah. it's not, not, so if I'm, if yeah. I can, if I'm a puppeteer and I'm putting around a table diverse people and they're not allowed to talk or whatever because yeah, I'm right. a puppeteer. Right. Ooh, this is interesting. Um, this, that I is want to not, see where this analogy goes. <laughs> me too. Um, if only we could control our people. That in of itself won't do any good. Just having diverse people. Yes. But if people are allowed to talk because they've brought a posture of humility and empathy. Yep. That is when a cross-discipline team really starts to work well together because they are learning. They're asking each other questions. Ooh, I know you are different than me. You have a different perspective. Yes. Tell me why. Help me understand your viewpoint. I'm going to tell you my viewpoint. And then let's learn from one another. But it's not just enough to be different. You have to have that posture of, of, of empathy, of learning. I think what we're going to dive into the other, we probably won't have time to dive into the other ones today. <clears throat> but when we do get into structures and disciplines, what's really interesting is um, the, the postures 
you can you can change your postures by changing your disciplines. Yes, you know what I mean. Yep. All of these are pull, all these strings pull on each other, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we want to talk about is these systems and networks as we start to think about how might I change my posture to to better serve this moment or. How can I take check of my posture right now? Well, I need to put a discipline in place like having a chart. Right. ADHD of my one-on-ones. That's a discipline mm-hmm. where I've created a structural set of a tool yep. that allows me to check on the posture of my people. Mm-hmm. Um, not to control them, but to better understand where they're at mm-hmm. so that we can move our decisions forward. So yep. that we can continue to have learning not be blocked by frustration or disappointment or... Um, hard-headedness, you know, or whatever. I think that posture, oftentimes people call what they want to call mm. um, culture. Mm-hmm. They want to they want to define their culture is as their posture. And I don't think culture is just posture. Mm-hmm. I think this is where culture is actually almost the, um, what's the word, Amal- amalgamation? Did I say that word right? Amalgamation? You said it right. Use it again. Uh, I, I was that, looking something up. Use yeah, it's it again. fine. I was replying to a text a second ago. <laughs> Somebody was like, are you getting, are you picking up my kid from school? And I was like, well, I hope not. Cause I'm at work right now. <laughs> um, uh, what I was getting at is that the, that posture, oftentimes people want to define their culture purely by their posture. Mm-hmm. They want to say, oh, you have a humble culture. Mm-hmm. You have an empathetic culture. You have a, no, those are, that just happens to be the posture of maybe a few people or of the people that day mm-hmm. or whatever that changes. It's not oh, yeah. always like that. We, right. we strive toward this certain set of postures, mm-hmm. but people are dynamic. Right. But if I think culture is truly defined by all three of these pillars, absolutely, it is the structures mm-hmm. in play. Mm-hmm. It is the disciplines and ceremonies and activities that you do. And it's also your attitudes and your mindsets about doing all those things that truly define your culture. I think you're right on. And honestly, um, uh, Peter Singe in his book, the fifth discipline mm-hmm. states mm-hmm. that structure influences behavior. So let's go back to your example yeah. of the chart. Yep. Um, so the charts of discipline, um, our structure is that we have, um, one-on-ones are discipline, but it's also, you could probably say it's a structure. Yeah, I know. I, this is where I go between what is actually discipline and what's a structure. And you use it to assess posture. Right. But the fact that you're doing that influences their, their future posture. That's right. Cause it influences this, um, idea of like, I am now going to be, um, I'm going to bring a, a better posture of trustworthiness because uh-huh. I have a safe space with my yep. manager, George, yep. to tell him exactly how I feel because of the structure he implemented. And so structure influences behavior. And it's interesting. He even quotes Tolstoy, uh, author of War and Peace. And I'm going to read this. Wow. I think it's fascinating. Wow. We're, I going, know. we're going in. I just read it. Love it. Um, For the investigation of the laws of history, we must completely change the subject of observations. Must let kings and ministers and generals alone and study the homogeneous infinitesimal infinitesimal elements by which the masses are led. No one can say how far it has been given to man to advance in that direction in understanding the laws of history. But it is obvious that only in that direction lies any possibility of discovering historical laws and that the human intellect has hitherto not devoted to that method of research one millionth part of the energy that historians have put in the description of the doings of various kings, ministers, and generals. Basically what he's getting at is if we are to understand why a certain, like the French Revolution happened with Napoleon, 
you can't say he he's arguing you can't say napoleon started it right or it was his fault it's not that black and white right what was the system what was the structure that he actually grew up under and what were the laws what were the economic conditions what were the socioeconomic policies yep. what was the culture of the day that influenced the behavior of the one man I, I think that's really fascinating. It's, uh, I want to be careful. I'm going to be so incredibly careful. I'm not making a personal political statement right now. Right. But I did read just the other day, and this is totally in line with what you're saying, which is there's a backlash um, towards Trump right now. Sure. For sure. With a certain group of people. Right. There's also a draw to him. But the argument could be made that it actually has nothing to do with Trump. Mm. It has, has everything to do with the environment in which Trump showed up. Mm. Interesting. Right? And that, that there was the environment that's been brewing for decades. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't it now he might, he may push some buttons to to light the fire a bit more just like Napoleon did. Right. But there was already something in the mass of people's feelings, postures, Mm -hmm. their Mm -hmm. disciplines, their structures, their, their way they, they were learning the world and seeing the world, their worldviews were already starting to be defined. They just finally found someone who could articulate it enough mm-hmm. on a mass stage that they went, that's what we want. Mm. And what, if you like that or don't like that, the environment was ripe for it. Right. And, um, and now we're dealing with the responses of that. You right. Know, um, which uh, doesn't excuse individual oh, responsibility no, no, not at all. or accountability, not at all, but for the far reaching effects of systemic downfalls or revolutions or changes on that level. Yeah. You have to, go back up a bit and look at the system. So let's bring that back into the yeah. company. Uh, Cause I, I want to bring it back to, I love that idea, but I think that's a really good place to start. If you're a leader or even if you're not a leader, if you're mm. a practitioner inside your organization, if you looked around kind of to your left and your right, and you started to look at your organization, your team, your department, um, your division, depending on the size of your organization, what, what is the, the environment, what's the ecosystem brewing already? Mm-hmm. What's already mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Um, and I think the biggest, I think the biggest challenge for any organization is one that hasn't started with the right posture, mm-hmm. but ne- that knows they need to pivot um, either at the bottom up or from the top down. They know they need to make a change in their, their postures um, or in their structures and disciplines. And we'll get to those, but how to do that when all the ingredients have been brewed for something different. Mm-hmm. And so almost having to kind of like throw the ingredients out and start, start from scratch or, right. or, or literally carve off a piece of the, the, you know, now my brain's going to all these analogies, like piece of the yeast. So you can right. make a different bread or, right. you know, whatever yeah. to, to actually start afresh somehow. Right. That's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. And let us be clear. We're not talking about behavior as like, you know, you going and punching someone in the oh, face. Oh, no, 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 no. This, when we talk about behavior. These are subtleties. The, the, yeah. It, it doesn't matter what ecosystem or environment you walk in. Don't punch anyone in the face. No, right. What we're talking about is if you walk into a structure that's highly bureaucratic. Yeah. Yeah. That's very micromanaged, um, very high hierarchical, just top down. Yep. All the way. And they expect you to operate on like impact and results based. Yeah your behavior is going to be completely antithetical to that because the structure you're in is, well, basically I'm, I'm rated on my ability to be in a seat from eight to five. Yeah. It's output over outcome. Yeah, exactly. It's about how many hours I sit there. 
it's not necessarily about my productivity on results. My productivity is that I was here 40 hours a week because of the structure I walked into. That's what we mean by the posture you bring to work. The behavior you bring to work can be influenced by that structure. And in my argument against that structure, just that one that you defined is primarily what I see there where I get actually the most a little fired up a little bit about it is because, because I feel it so acutely is you immediately create bottlenecks, um, both inside the organization and for the potential of the organization. Um, so you create bottlenecks and silos, which I think are the two, in my opinion, two of the worst things that an organization can have is bottlenecks and silos. If you have someone who is pushed to the sidelines and not Mm -hmm. able to have influence be able to work with somebody else with you know a, a differing view to move an idea forward, then yeah, no innovation is going to happen. Then yeah, right. no, you know the, the, you're not going to move your technology forward or your new line of business forward or whatever that is. You're going to be stuck. Yep. Um, and the same thing with bottlenecks. We talk about it a lot. I have zero desire to be the bottleneck of Crema. Mm. Yet it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Mostly because of me mm. stepping back in and going. Oh, I really have a strong opinion about the way that ought to be done. And I really want it to be done this way. Mm. If I, if I truly had the posture of trusting my team, mm-hmm. then I would have let them have the autonomy to say, explore this. This is the outcome we need to get to. You guys, you guys figure out a way to get there. Yep. Uh, now doesn't mean I can't have an opinion in the conversation, mm-hmm. but having that posture of trust mm-hmm. and of, you know, and that's part of our values uh, of collaboration allows that that bottleneck to no longer be, I'm the final decision maker. Right. Um, we were, we were sending out an invite for something recently and they kept wanting to run it through me to make sure it was perfect. I was like, guys, it looks awesome. You're the one that's like critiquing at this point. So once you guys get done critiquing it, it is approved. I don't need to see it again. Right. And then I found out two days later, and this is my fault because I've set up a discipline that I needed to be the approver on things. I've, I've, trained the team to, to think that way two days later it hasn't it wasn't, didn't go out and i said well guys what well, i thought I, had, I thought it needed to go out friday mm-hmm. and they said oh well you didn't approve it and i said i don't i didn't i gave you i was I trying to give to. you the <laughs> you know and that's and again those that's why it's hard to retrain it's hard to rethink your habits and we'll get into habits because it's hard to break a habit yep Absolutely. And you have really strong defined defined habits. So you've heard us kind of hint at disciplines and habits. You've also heard us hint at structures. Yep. Um, But today we've talked about posture. Yep. And so maybe some diagnostic questions for anyone, practitioner, leader at your organization within your team. Um, Just some things that came to mind is as you walk into your place of work, ask yourself the question, what what posture am I bringing myself? How, how do I feel today? Yep. Maybe start using a chart like George ta- talked mm-hmm. about. If you lead a meeting, maybe start your meeting that way. We how, do. We yeah. our retrospectives. Yeah. Yep. What's, what's your sentiment today? Yep. How, how are you feeling about today's meeting or not even feeling about today's meeting? How are you feeling in general? Yeah. Um, asking questions about your culture, you know, asking, do I feel safe to bring my thoughts and posture ideas safety. Yeah. to whomever? Yeah. Do I feel like it's okay for me to take a little bit of a risk? Yeah. What's, how do we feel about our work? You know, do people get excited when the new project comes down? How do people respond to adversity Yeah. when things don't go very well? What's, are they resilient? All of these things talk about the posture that people are bringing to work. Yeah. So maybe just ask yourself those questions. If you're on a leadership team, 
go through those yourself. If you're, um, if you're a practitioner, ask yourself what your personal posture is because your posture, whether you like it or not, is affecting the people on your team. Right. Um, yeah. And go, and go deeper than feelings. It's like, well, I come to work happy most of the day. Okay. Well, we'll go a little bit deeper than that. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why are you happy? Do you really enjoy the work? Do you understand the purpose of what you're working towards? Do you understand the impact that you're making on that project? What's, yeah. what's your posture that you're bringing to your work? Um, that affects everything else. I'm going to make a note here. Uh, I want to put in the show notes, a link to a PDF that actually I'll show you my board. Um, so you guys can see the yeah, types of, absolutely. um, feeling questions or posture questions that I ask. It's really stupid, simple. And honestly, we begged and borrowed it from somebody else that we worked with before. Um, take it, make it your own, replace the words. I have different words for my kids at home than I do the ones here. Um, and I think that it's a really great tool. We'll, we'll link that up in the show notes. So you have an access to that. Yeah. <sighs> My posture is pretty, I'm pretty excited it, right now. I am too. And it goes by really fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really does. Um, we would love your feedback on this as well. So mm. as you are trying to adopt this, or maybe if you're, um, both flourishing in this idea or struggling with this idea, shoot us an email. Uh, we'd love to, to get your feedback on ways that you're establishing your posture or maybe, you know, just know that it's private, but we'd love to know what your personal posture is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it, take a look at that link that we'll provide and tell us what you think. You can send us an email at option5 at crema.us. Mm-hmm. And that is either with the number five, but we also have added the ability to, to type out the, the word five. Right. Either one of those will get to us. Either one. And um, um, thank you so much for listening. Yeah. This has been, I think I'm getting more excited every time we, we do another one. So. We're finding out more. Every we're time learning. Yeah. We're, learning. <laughs> we're learning as we go. That's right. Um, if you can make sure that you give us a review on iTunes or on your uh, platform of choice, give us a five star review that please goes a long way. We're trying so hard love to five make, stars. This, make this good for you guys. <laughs> uh, and then if you could make sure that you share the link, um, on social media goes a long way cause it tells even more than just one person. But if you actually send it directly to somebody, they're probably more li- willing to listen to it. Mm. So just do that for us. Um, Show notes. We're going to be trying to make our show notes a little bit more thorough. So if mm-hmm. I say a link like this, check those out. Right. But also check out crema.us slash podcast if you want to get more details, see the other episodes, and uh, make sure you can subscribe from there. Anything else, Dan? Keep learning. Change the world. Change the world. Or anything else cliche like that. <laughs> Achieve your dreams. Go for Love it. what you do. That's right. Okay. Dance. Dance when nobody's looking. <laughs> I hope you did. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Cheers. Hi, my name is Sean Connolly. I'm a product designer here at Crema. I mostly work to design and prototype out web applications with clients. And I work with clients along with our product managers and directly with developers. I enjoy working at Crema because product design is really just the perfect combination of problem solving and visual design. Uh, And at Crema, we really have the ability to share our own ideas and there's a ton of room to learn and grow while you're doing that. Option 5 is a podcast by Crema, a digital product agency that creates web and mobile apps for disruptive companies and titans of industry. It is our belief that design, technology, and culture can help create a world where individuals and companies thrive. Learn more at crema.us.